WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQ&A, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week's guest is someone I've wanted to have on the show for a bit now. It's uh, Chris Hassan, who writes the X-Men Monday column at AIPTComics.com. He's got a fun thing going on this week where he and some good friends of the show are uh, producing a bunch of content centered on those two all-timer mutants, uh, Jean Grey and Emma Frost. Chris talks about that. Uh, interviewing Jonathan Hickman, dealing with Jot and Schema shippers, and uh, the good old days when we all bought our physical media from Sam Goody. Uh, meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? Stuff, 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 stuff. Uh, since last we spoke, we've got an X-Man of the Week on Destiny. We've got a bonus reading from Matt Lazowitz on the best Wolverine stories. Uh, we've got a review of Dark Horse's Bang Number 1 by Joshua Bermont. Uh, we've got our top Marvel picks for May. We've got a new edition of Why Will, uh, talking about DC's mislabeling of old Vertigo books, plus Will Nevin answering your questions. Uh, we got a Sunday editorial looking at all the news at a Comics Pro this past weekend, uh, and we've got our top picks of the week, including Giant Size X-Men, Jean Grey, and Emma Frost at number one, and Finger Guns number one from recent guests uh, Justin Richards and Val Halverson. Check it all out. It is all fresh and all for you at WMQComics.com. But for now, here are me and Matt and Chris. Uh, so, Chris, let, let's start off with uh, with the softball here. Uh, what was your What was your first X Men comic? Oh man, uh, I believe it. So it was right before the Age of Apocalypse. So mm-hmm. uh, I think nineteen ninety five, and I want to say it was X Men Adjectiveless X Men thirty nine, which is the Adam X uh, cover. <laughs> oh yeah 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 okay yeah. And uh, it's, yes, it's about Adam X and then uh, Scott and Gene and I think Scott's grandfather, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Philip. Yes. Yes. So I think that I got that at a uh, Sam Goody on a spinner rack. <laughs> Ooh, I used to I used to work at Sam Goody. Fun fact. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah I worked really? at a mall that had two of them. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> <laughs> you guys are spoiled. I remember I it was, uh, I mean, Sun, Suncoast and uh, Sam Goody uh-huh. were the two anchor stores for the movie fans and the music fans. Um, but yeah, we've lost half the audience, I think, talking about <laughs> these stories. 20-year-old Sun- retail chains. <laughs> I haven't thought about Suncoast in years. I used to go there all the time. I think there's still one left. I think I saw an article the other day online that's like, there's one in like Arizona, it's the last Suncoast, which seems crazy to me. It's like, it's like what was it, last year or maybe even the year before when like the last Blockbuster video closed? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's funny that these places, like they're like formative experiences in my life, like burned into my head. Um, Cause I remember buying the return of the Jedi special edition soundtrack on cassette at San Goody, which oh, was wow. like the little, it was like a four cassette <laughs> set. <laughs> and then I remember when I discovered Weezer and I bought like all three Weezer albums between like, an FYE and a Sam Goody, like trying to get them all in one mall. Okay, uh-huh. <laughs> it was the Green Album when that, that came out. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I guess, I guess Sam Goody sold comics back in the day because I, I do remember getting that issue there, and that was around the time where it was like deluxe edition and regular edition. So depending on what story, it was either like really glossy paper or uh, regular like uh, comic comic paper. Hmm. Interesting. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they did that for what, the X books and the books, sp- yeah. maybe the Spidey books, and I know they did it for the Bat books over at DC. Yeah. So yeah, it was like a short. I think it was like one ninety five for the deluxe edition and one fifty for the paper edition, which seemed crazy either way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a steal now. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I, I'm not sure. It's either one. It was either thirty nine or X Men forty, which the Legion with the fire on the cover. I think. Yeah. They were probably both on sale at the same time, and I went with one over the other. But after that, I kind of got into it regularly. Um, and I, like, I have an older brother. He's six years older, and he was in the comics, so he had all the Marvel Universe trading cards. So I kind of like when I was watching the Phoenix Saga is when I first really got into X Men. It was like the mm-hmm. Phoenix Saga in that primetime episode with Wolverine and uh, Lady Deathstrike. That's like when I started watching and I was very fascinated by it all and had no idea who the characters were. And like, so I'd look through the trading cards and any comics he had from his childhood. And then I just started jumping in. And um, I think Scott, Scott and Gene, since they were so prominent in that cartoon, uh, the Phoenix saga, like they were my gateway kind of, and I still am a, a, they're my favorites to this day. And which we'll get into with the Gene, Gene, a week but yes. um yeah so i started just collecting any covers i could see with those characters like uh, x-men 35 with them on the cover liam sharp issue um the wedding issue i got the uh collector pack at a toys r us which had like their wedding and everything and then from there i just expanded and i was buying every x-men comic in the 90s which uh i don't remember like any of those comics what they were about i just remember like being <laughs> every friday night before bed <laughs> <sighs> I got Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix in one of those uh, yeah, Toys yeah. R Us collector packs. Yeah. Uh, oh. And that and that store's gone too. So I'm. <laughs> oh god. Kind of depressing show. <laughs> oh. I I feel my hair turning gray and my hairline receding even more as we speak. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've pretty much just embraced the fact that you know I'm turning forty in like two months. So you know. But uh, I, I do like I like X-Men 39 as somebody's first issue just because, like, on the one hand, it's a standalone story. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's it's like a one and done. So there's a little bit of waiting into the pool there. But then also, this is a story about Cyclops's grandfather and Adam X, the extreme, <laughs> that, you know, that yeah. character everybody knows that was almost Cyclops's brother. It's funny today because, like, yeah, they're so scared about, like, oh, we need a new number one. We have to get new readers. We can't have people lost. And, like, that's, like, the worst issue to come in at. And I, I, just, I haven't gone away. Like, I'm still reading. So I think they should they should be a little worse, less worried and just let people jump in. Because I think part of the fun, too, is, like, just discovering stuff and piecing it all together, going through, like, back issue bins and stuff. Absolutely. Uh, you know, my, my first issue was 19 issues before that. So it was X-Men Volume 2, Number 20. Mm-hmm. And that was the one where uh, Revanche or Quanon or Betsy 2, whatever you want to call her, first shows up. And, you know, for me, who also was coming through the cartoon, you know, I'm like, first of all, there's a second Betsy. And number two, there's a Betsy. <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my first, I bought, probably bought these two books the same day because the comic shop that I started shopping at had this sort of, you know, these are the new hotness sort of area when you first walked in for whatever the new books were. Mm -hmm. And since I was just feeling my way around, I would kind of, you know, spend two of my $5 that I would go in on whatever was there plus whatever bat book I could get. And I doubt they came out the same day, but they were near enough to each other. It was Uncanny 279, so we're right in the middle of the Muir Island saga, (laughs) and New Mutants 100, which is completely impenetrable. The the last three pages, where Strife unmasks and reveals that he looks like Cable, it was kind of like, wait, so the same guy? Since he had no context about who Strife was or anything like that, it was like, oh, okay, so this guy's got a second team. And like, it, it <laughs> completely made no sense until the, then reading X-Force number one, then a couple months later, it was like, okay, they're two different guys? What? what? <laughs> oh, but I figured it all out eventually. Yeah, I love that, like, every, like, long-term X-Fan, like, their first issue is, like, the worst possible entry point. <laughs> like, the, the two Psylocks and uh, Mural Island Saga, which I can't even tell you what the Mural Island Saga is about. I read it in... I've read, and the other thing that's funny is, like, I've read all these comics way out of order. Like, Uncanny, I just read um, the first appearance of Gambit uh, a couple weeks ago for the first time. Like, that was the one issue I hadn't read, um, just because it's impossible to find and it's way too expensive. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, like, you just, like... 
when you're growing up, you pick them up wherever you can find them and for however much, you know, for the lowest cost, you're reading them in X-Men Classic, X-Men Early Years. So you've read the whole saga out of order, and I, I have no intention of going back and reading from the beginning. I just feel like I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get, okay, I get what they did. <laughs> I, I mean, I imagine, you know, some, some kid last week went to the comic shop and was like, you know what, I'm going to do me some X-Men, you know, for the first time. And they picked up X-Men number six, and they picked up this, you know, uh, beautiful story about two supervillains in love, one of whom is is dead and has been dead for 31 years, and they have no intention of bringing her back, and they're and they're dicking around her wife, and and it's a great story. But also, I just opened up this you know this X Men comic with no prior knowledge of any of this, and and you know I think I saw Mystique in the movie once, but otherwise, what is happening? <laughs> I mean, that. I- it's true of like any of the issues from uh, Hickman's X-Men so far. I feel like the, the horticulture issue too. <laughs> You'd feel that way. <laughs> the first first I... issue, like they're doing dishes. What's going on? <laughs> Was X-Men number? And I, I would have asked you this off air today because I, I thought about it and meant to, but it's also mm-hmm. perfectly valid on air question. Was X-Men number six the first issue of any of the post- Hoxpox X books with no text pages aside from the standard introduction. Holy shit! You know, I've read that book twice, including once today, and I didn't realize the absence of text pages. I, I think it was the first one. Yeah, I think so. I didn't know. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the last the last one was pretty experimental too with the the Children of the Vault. Like they yes. had the characters on the on the data pages. Yeah, I really liked that. That was awesome. Yeah. Well, you guys, I mean, you're you're we're all longtime fans. Are you enjoying the new uh, status quo? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm it's it's fascinating. I I hate it. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I think you're <laughs> No. No, I'm enjoying it a lot, yeah. Um I think I do like X Men. I think Marauders and New Mutants I have the most fun with every time I read them. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I'm enjoying it all a lot, um, and I, I just hope we stick with it for a long time. That's my biggest fear. Like every month, I'm like, already when I see Mystique's gonna burn it all down, I'm like, no, 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 we need like two years of this at least. <laughs> well, they gotta they gotta do stuff like that to you know keep it keep it spicy. But I mean, Hickman said he's got thirty to forty years of plans. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mystique plays the long game. Yeah, I mean, when you're, I I feel functionally immortal. Or I mean, because she's at least the earliest appearance we've seen of her was back in Wolverine in a flashback story when she and Logan met in San Francisco and I think the twenties, and she hasn't aged a day since. Yeah, okay, so, so it's canonical that Irene Adler is Irene Adler. I don't think they've ever canonically said it. Uh, they they did. You know I mean? found it on Wikipedia today. Really? Yeah, your head canon is real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh Matt Matt's had this whole thing about Irene Adler being the actual character from Sherlock Holmes for for oh, yeah. some time. And in do writing uh this week's X Man of the Week piece for WMQ, uh, which is about destiny, uh, you know, of course I'm I'm doing my background research and apparently it's mentioned in of all places chaos war you guys remember chaos war right oh, one of yeah. those like two stories with the dead come back for like a hot second in like 2010 <laughs> yeah i actually i haven't read that one but i know what the cover looks like it's got like thunderbird on it and everything i i think i got that uh, the x-men chaos war trade bargain bin somewhere that's sitting i now need to definitely read that because <laughs> my my whole thing is not just mystique that is uh irene is that character but mystique is sherlock holmes yeah, that's, that's cool. how they met. And she was just sort of fooling around as Sherlock Holmes for these years because I just think it would be delightful for Mystique to have been Sherlock Holmes. That that'd be cool. I think um I am interested to see how I mean I don't think Mystique and Destiny it's never been said on panel that they were married, right? Uh Not well, I mean before prior to X Men six, no, no. Yeah. They were together, but I mean it was never like flat out they're married so i think that was cool to see and i'm i am really curious to see like what else hickman's going to bring in from all those years of uh i feel like fan talk and uh claremont interviews and creator talk like um what wasn't 
Destiny meant to be Nightcrawler's mother mm-hmm. or something? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So it seems like that stuff, as more creators who grew up on that stuff come into the comics, like they're trying to get that stuff in. So I think that's kind of cool to see. Absolutely. And, and, you know, talking about Hickman and how he addresses continuity is a good sort of inroad uh, into our next topic here, because uh, you are the, the, the X-Men editor, the X-Men Monday editor at uh, AIPTcomics.com, which means that every week you post, uh, you know, uh, usually it's like a Q&A with uh, Marvel senior editor Jordan White or one of his proxies or one of the other X creators about, you know, the mutants and everything with some exclusive art and what have you. Uh, this week you got to... Uh, do a Q&A with Hickman again, uh, you know, and he's got, I, I, I find that he's a very unique way of answering questions, you know, in yeah. that he's the first to say, you know, I'm not going to answer that, but he always seems to drop one or two nuggets of surprise information, uh, you know, so I wanted to kind of get a feeling from you, you know, what, what were your biggest takeaways from the piece that ran uh, today when we were recording? <laughs> Um, I'm mm-hmm. going to tell you that mine is that uh, he just kind of casually says, oh, yeah, though, the Xavier we saw in Hawks Pox and, you know, up to his assassination in X-Force 1. Yeah, that was him in the Phantom X body, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I know I know that, I mean, from past editions, anytime Hickman talks to us, it's going to be huge. <laughs> it's going to be like the biggest, biggest one we've done. Um, the biggest one was right after Hawks Pox. Like that was just like, days and days of uh views on that one and every comic site picked it up and so to, so far today a couple of comic sites cbr um bleeding cool they've written about x-men monday yeah. um which i anticipate so it's like he just has a way of like dropping yeah, these reveals in uh in his answers um and i feel like jordan does that too a lot of right creators will do it but it's very clear that the other sites are only focused on hickman what hickman's saying <laughs> which sure. is because jordan actually like um couple weeks ago I, I mentioned like there was a, an edition where i asked jordan um months before hawksbox came out like if you had the infinity gauntlet and could turn any human into a mutant who would it be and he said you'll see and that ended up being myra so like there is stuff in there that jordan mm-hmm. is seeding but i don't think people pick it up they just kind of look and say this is dumb where's the answer <laughs> so, <laughs> so um i knew jonathan would uh have some reveals um so a fun behind-the-scenes thing about this edition was uh, we're on X-Men Monday number 48, and my dream was to have Hickman do a, a long-form interview with me for number 50. Um, and what happened was, before I could pitch that to Jordan, he said, Jonathan wants to do one of these coming up. So that was pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jonathan decides when he comes into X-Men Monday. Um, and, and that was pretty much it. It's like, get me, get him, like, 15 questions that uh, are pretty good. They have have to be about giant size so right there i feel like that was kind of tricky um because mm-hmm. what can you ask about the series that we know so little about um so i sent him about 15 questions and then you know jonathan sends back i think he picked up like 13 um so he is very much like in control <laughs> as you'd expect um but I, it was exciting to see how he did manage to do some reveals like so we got storm is going to be the final uh, giant size x-men Woo! that was a reveal and then uh yeah the the charles and phantom x thing which i do feel like a lot of people were confused about and wanted the answer to so that was cool to get that and uh more poly confirmation or hinting about gene and emma and uh logan and scott and then uh the other one the other piece of news was uh ramon perez will take over giant size magneto from ben oliver so a lot, of, a lot of news came out of that one that I did not expect, um, but that's cool Cool to see that, yeah, Jonathan just has a very casual way of dropping these things. Um, that's a lot of fun for fans. Yeah. Um, just, you know, looking looking back now, um, I remember the the post-Hawks Pox uh, Hickman interview. Like, he basically predicted, well, not predicted, he knew it was coming, <laughs> uh, but, like, he basically stealth announced X-Factor in that one. Yeah, like, oh yeah, yeah, there's gonna be a book about the resurrections and how that, you know, how that works and everything. So, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think, I think only he can do that. I think that's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when Ben Percy is doing an interview, he's not going to just announce a ton of stuff from the X-Men slack. Um, but I think because Jonathan is the head of X, he's probably just telling them like, Nope, I'm going to do this. And I know it's going to be big. And that's it. <laughs> Cause even Jordan is very cautious. Like Jordan's not just like dropping titles. Um, it is answers. So it's, I think Jonathan just has the power to do whatever he wants in this column. <laughs> I, I do. 
<laughs> I do like the idea of of somebody like you know Ben Percy, Jerry Duggan, uh, Chip, just sort of dropping a spoiler in X Men Monday without you know uh, I guess running it by Jordan or, uh, or or Jonathan first, and then it's like two weeks later. Uh, yeah, uh, Marauders has been delayed, and Jerry Duggan <laughs> has pretty much disappeared. Nobody, nobody can find him. <laughs> I mean, I think it, it is the. Uh... Snitches get snitches. <laughs> Jonathan Hickman has sent one of his pale riders that appear in all of his <laughs> comics to go and take out the man who spoiled that. It's fascinating to me how, like, Jonathan, though, has, like, become this mysterious, like, rock star figure in comics, like, very quickly. And because, I mean, I he was always good, but I do you guys think that, like, the X-Men thing just, like, elevated him to another level? You know, I mean, there's, there was, I think there was already, he was already a hype beast, but, um, you know, if, <laughs> if, if, if to, you know, I, I guess to, to kind of use something I know very little about, uh, except my son loves it, you know, he just kind of evolved to the next level of Pokemon. <laughs> Does that, does that make sense? Am I doing this right? <laughs> I mean, I can see where you're coming from. I mean, as someone who's been following Hickman from his creator-owned image days, I've he was someone I've been excited to see on a book, on the X-Books since it was first announced. And, but it, yeah, it seems like, yeah, it's an evolution. It's like, this is him at the next level because he's never... Even his Avengers stuff didn't get the same level of buzz that the yeah. Xbox have. I do feel like Secret Wars did, though. Like Secret Wars was a big deal. Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> it, it might. Yeah. It just might be that just X Men is already so there's so much going on there, and the fans are so passionate that you take that, you combine it with Hickman, and I think the way that he's. Uh, the way he just carries himself online, his online persona, which I think is great on, on Twitter, especially because um, I spend much of my day fighting with X fans. <laughs> and so it's very refreshing to see him doing uh, the, what he does, where he just doesn't, doesn't reply or anything. Um, that's like the dream, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, but he can do that. Like a, a Jerry Dugan, a chips are dark. Like they're not going to do that. They're not going to like completely ignore people or put up like cryptic posts um, it's like something that only few people can do. And like Hickman has like either decided that that's him or he just grew into that role or evolved like a Pokemon. But it's, it's all this fascinating to me watching from afar. Uh, definitely. Um, so uh, the week that this episode will go uh, live, uh, you are doing uh, overseeing Jean Grey and Emma Frost week uh, in honor yes. of the first issue of Giant Size X-Men, which will feature them written by Hickman, drawn by Russell Dodderman. Uh, obviously, it's going to be, you know, freaking gorgeous. Uh, what kind of, you know, give us an idea of what kind of content you have uh, planned for this week. Yeah. Um, so if you if I don't know if you know about like Cyclops week before it, um, mm-hmm. very much that blueprint <laughs> of uh uh, original like essays, original articles from contributors, and then um, interviews with creators, former creators and current creators. Uh, this one is very interesting because in the middle of my planning, I got like a mild case of the flu, which is <laughs> why I'm still coughing. Um, but I was just like sidelined for a couple days there. And uh, so I like started really working hard and then I got sick. And then I'm like, oh, it's almost time. So I better, <laughs> I better catch up here. Um, so I, I honestly don't know what we're going to have. Um, because I've, I sent out like probably like five creator uh, interview requests, and they all of them wrote back to me that they will do it. I've only gotten one back so far, <laughs> so this week I have to do a lot of pursuing. Um, okay. But so far in the can, we I can reveal <laughs> that we, you know we talked about the animated series earlier. We've got uh, Eric Lewald, who was the uh, story editor for the oh, uh, show. Nice. Um, he is going to talk to me about adapting the Phoenix and the Dark Phoenix saga for TV. That's um, awesome. Yeah, which I think is still the best adaptation of the Dark Phoenix saga. So it was kind of cool to talk about that, um, their approach to doing that, and uh, what advice he has for others uh, who are adapting. I think he said to me at one point, he was like, I wish someone had come to me and talked to me <laughs> for the movies. <laughs> so that's in the can. Um, we've just got a lot of uh, great contributors that 
probably some of your listeners are familiar with, um, like Adam Reck from Battle of Adam. He yep. wrote an article uh, on the Gene side. It's it's tough. Try- I'm trying to balance Emma with Gene so the fans don't murder me. <laughs> can't have. Can't oh, have they'll it- still murder you. Come on, Chris. <laughs> I can't have it skewed one way more than the other. But uh, yeah, Adam's writing something. We've got uh, Trent uh, Seeley. You know Trent. He's yep. doing. Uh, he's been tweeting about Emma and like Generation X for a couple weeks, and he was telling me uh, this is going to be like the definitive Emma Frost teacher student article he's been putting together. Um, nice. And he told me that I was like, "Hey, where's that? How's that article coming, Trent?" And he was like, "Do you realize that she has appeared in 800 comics?" So <laughs> <laughs> I think he's really reading every single one. So I'm. Very excited for that one. Um, uh, Trent, Trent always does really great work. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we got some... Uh, AIPT obviously has a science section, so we've got like a science article coming out about Emma Frost, uh, her powers. Um, we have uh, Stephanie Burt is writing a... a well, she already wrote a piece um, about the relationship between Emma Frost and Kitty Pride. Um, that's really, really great. Um, that one I, I read over the weekend. Um, so it's a lot of cool... A lot of cool, uh, diverse topics in, on the essay end. Um, there will be a, uh, an article about the psychic affair. So that will be a day where I will unplug all my computers and Twitter. <laughs> Mute notifications. Yeah. <laughs> I, just hide under your desk, man. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, hopefully the interviews come through okay. Um, and we will see by the time... The- this is, uh, this is out if, if I succeed or not. But um, a lot of cool former X creators I reached out to and who are down. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing those answers if they come through. Um, but yeah, most of all, it's just, you know, just uh, a chance to have some fun and uh, celebrate these two characters. Um, one of which is, you know, one of my favorites. I love Emma too. Um, that's the thing that always gets to me. Uh, I was called a jot shipper uh, when I started X-Men Monday because I'd talk about Gene and Scott a lot. And I had no idea what jot or schema meant. Um, and <laughs> while I do love Gene and Scott together, uh, I'm still, I still like Emma I, and I still have, uh, I've got a little, uh, Cyclops and Emma Frost mini, mini mate pack that I got when they were together. So mm-hmm. I, I respect that couple. <laughs> oh man. Um, what about you for... guys? Are you, are you, are you jot shippers or schema shippers? Oh. Matt, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. Okay, all right. It... All right. <laughs> so it, it really depends on the day of the week and which book I what era I'm reading. I, I mean, what about the the current Polly era where you can have it all? <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. <laughs> and so are they. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's like thoughts have never been happier. <laughs> oh man. There, there's a period there not just I mean, the the Morrison era is so messy, and it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I love a lot of the Scott and Emma dynamic that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Scott couldn't have he he grew for good and for ill partially because of his relationship with Emma. Mm-hmm. But there's no better Scott and any insert any significant other story than Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. Mm. I mean, yeah, it was, it was like 20 years of their life or something, or 12 years? I, I forget. Well, oh, yeah. 12, yeah. 12, yeah, because Nate, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am really excited to see <clears throat> that stuff has really come back into play. I mean, Kid Cable... Um, I remember I was reviewing X-Men Disassembled for AIPT, and I just couldn't believe that, like, in the finale, it was, like, Gene talking to Nate Gray about, like, their history and everything. And first of all, like, the fact that Nate Gray was there, I was just like, I can't believe, after all these years, like, this is when I got into the comics in the 90s, and, like, they brought all this stuff back, and they're not at all, like, afraid of, like, losing people. It's, like, really crazy to see all this stuff back. I love it. Absolutely. What what about you, Dan, now that I've rambled? (laughs) I, you know, I, I really, I really don't think that my answer differs that much from yours. I mean, you know, given we all started reading around the same time, and you know, around the time of Scott and Jean's wedding, you know, they were the it couple of the X Men. They were, you know, the Rock. Um, you know, we were watching their their relationship 
you know, advance both in the comics and, and in animation simultaneously. So, you know, there, it was like there, I think as younger readers, there was probably this expectation that they'd never break up, even though, you know, 10 years before that she died and he got married to her clone and had a kid and then walked away from said kid, you know, but there's, there's a high school sweethearts aspect to them so much that, you know, you, you definitely, you, you, it's, it was an adjustment when, when Scott started with Emma, uh, but at the same time, you know, again, looking at when we started reading, like Emma was a, a conflicted <coughs> hero for, for most of our, our reading career. And then, you know, she comes into the, the, the mansion or whatever. And, you know, Matt, I think you hit the nail on the head. Scott grew under Emma. You know, it, it's not that every choice that he made was the right choice, but being with Emma allowed him to actually take leadership of the X-Men. You know, it wasn't Charles's school anymore. It wasn't Charles's team. It was Scott's, you know, eventually, yeah, it went off the deep end, but you know, I, there are benefits, there are benefits to him being with both. And right now, given the whole paradigm that we're in, there's benefits to not focusing on that on that coupling if that makes sense yeah no uh <clears throat> I, I do think it went off the rails um i was reading so i picked up the new mutants uh abnet landing or whatever uh is that abnet mm-hmm. landing mm-hmm. yeah that collection um which is really good i really like it um and but i forgot about the utopia era <laughs> so reading it and a lot of it's just like scott at a desk giving orders to everybody like fighting with danny fighting sam and then emma and him like emma's you know pushing him around he's like no emma i'm gonna do and it's like this is not really fun um and i do feel like they kind of lost their way after morrison i feel like right away they the creators didn't know what to do with them like claremont kind of had like rachel reacting to them and different characters were mad at them and then they accepted them and then they had that Namor thing down the line, the the love triangle, and yeah, it just seemed like they didn't know what to do with them for a while. So, I think there's a lot of good stuff there, but it kind of went off the rails. Um, I actually really like the Bendis era. I think he did a great job when they were like broken up but still working together. Oh yeah, no, definitely. Um, but I was thinking the day how I saw that picture Jerry Dugan posted from Cable where he's like eating like a, a hot dog or something. <laughs> and I was thinking how like there's not been like a, such a like crazy switch from like 10 years ago. This guy was a revolutionary, like <laughs> on, on the most wanted man alive. And now he's just like a dad hanging out and crack away eating hot dogs. <laughs> I just I love these. He's like. Cyclops has never been like a comedy character, but it's very clear they're just like, let's just go all in on this and like have fun with it. So, oh, yeah, I'm he's really living his best life. It's... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott is finally getting what he's always wanted. He he's he has a, he has his family. He is the military commander of Krakoa without having to deal with the sitting behind the desk. Because let's be completely fair, if Gene had been alive, the last will and testament of Charles Xavier, he would have left the school to Gene, not to Scott. This is what Scott wants to do. Yeah, eat hot dogs on the moon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go monster hunting with his children, with uh, yeah, his the teenage version of uh, his son that used to be older than him. <laughs> <laughs> who murdered his older son? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't talk about that. Got <laughs> cross-eyed. <laughs> yeah, guys, comics are hard sometimes. Um, but you know, we're we're talking a lot about Scott. Let's let you know the reason for the season here. What, what do you see as as the relationship between Gene and Emma? We you know, obviously, Giant Size is going to be the first real opportunity for us to watch them hang out under this new paradigm we had 
you know, uh, in uh, was a House of X number six, you know, we see them kind of give each other a nod of understanding. Like I get them on Mondays, you get them on, on Tuesdays. <laughs> uh, and in X-Men number three, they kind of make their little snipey comments to each other before uh, Scott, Emma and Sebastian go get their butts handed to them by the golden girls. God, I love that <laughs> issue so much. Uh, anyway, um, but you know, they're, they're, they're both telepaths. Uh, obviously their dating histories have formed a little bit of a Venn diagram around one particular mutant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, how do you see them, them getting along and, and, and working together now? I guess, I mean, I think that's the blueprint. I mean, what Hickman said in today's X-Men Monday, which is they respect each other. Uh, they share uh, intimate things, which I view as obviously Scott is what he's alluding at, but also, you know, they're both on the quiet council. They both have similar powers. Um, and then, but they don't visit each other's homes. So yeah, it seems to be this, uh, kind of keeping their distance. Uh, but they do get drinks apparently together, um, per Hickman. Uh, but I, what I think is most interesting about their relationship is how Hickman, Jordan, no one seems interested in giving X fans exactly what they want, which I think every X fan wanted Scott and Jean to reunite in that comic that Rosenberg wrote, yeah. and then have five straight issues of them hashing out their problems, <laughs> and then Scott picking one of one or the other, and then Emma and Jean fighting for a couple issues or something, because it seems like that's what the comments I get are about on X Men Monday. Um, there's a the hardcore uh, Jot fans do not like that Scott is a cheater. They do not like Emma at all. They seem very pure. And uh, I've actually talked to you know different people about this at cons uh, creators because I feel it's, I feel like the the Jot fans are maybe like super conservative or something like that. They the idea of like divorce and cheating and and a polyamorous it's all like no we cannot have this get this away from them. Um, and then the Emma fans are insulted that the Gene fans are attacking Emma and it's just, it's crazy. And I think that the most interesting thing is that no one at Marvel is interested in getting into that. And the characters seem to have moved on on panel. So why are the fans not accepting that their favorite characters have moved on? I find that very fascinating that if, you know, we love these characters so much and we treat them like real people, then we should just respect their wishes and move on. A lot of Scott fans have always been very blind to the fact that Scott has a wandering eye or an inability to be single. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, going that goes as far back as X Men one, the 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 one teens when Gene <laughs> and Hank are back scott thinks gene has died and has that weird sort of flirtation with colleen wing Mm -hmm. scott has never been able to be single he's just one of those people yeah it's i I, years and years and years ago and for some reason in my head i think it might have been morrison who said this in an interview somewhere but don't quote me on it because i can't remember but he someone somewhere likens cyclops to odysseus hmm and the fact that, you know, Odysseus is out there for 10 years and, yeah, he's loyal to Penelope, but he never kind of stops, you know, hey, Cersei, how's it going? And, and it's that thing that Scott is, has never been terribly good at relationships. And I say this as someone who willingly admits to being one of the internet's top Cyclops apologists. <laughs> Was he right? <laughs> To a point. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, you're talking about, uh, Dan, you were talking about your first issues during that Quanon Psylocke stuff. Like, that was having that flirtation with Psylocke. Yes. Um, you know, I remember talking to, I talked to Fabian Nisianza about that for Cyclops Week, and he said the idea behind that was to ramp up to Cyclops' wedding, um, but also show that, like, he could still be cool and young and is still, like, desirable despite being, like, this guy who's been in a long-term relationship um but there was never like any idea for that to go anywhere it was just like let's just do this for a while and then they'll get married um but it does seem like it's always been this go-to plot i mean uh calling wing and then uh who is the boat captain uh lee forrester and this is a good time for, <laughs> for our listeners i actually pitched a piece for gene and emma week that chris rejected <laughs> because it was about lee forrester <laughs> i regret nothing <laughs> 
<laughs> it has nothing to do with Jeter. <laughs> but I, I think it was like going to troll people, right? That would be like, just drop that in the middle of the week. <laughs> just, you know, counter-programming. I don't know. <laughs> you would have been murdered. I'm, I'm pre- preventing murder. <laughs> I, I, uh, I yeah, leave... I'd be saved by those legions of Lee Forrester fans. <laughs> Lot, you know all those all dirt. those fans of I don't know what their their portmanteau is going to be Scalie. By the way, uh, just throwing this out there, Jot and Schema are terrible portmanteaus. Uh, I mean, I know you didn't make them up. I'm not blaming you. It's they're just they just both sound like diseases or insects that carry them. <laughs> now, let's be fair. Actually, Gene Emma pairing Gemma is actually the best portmanteau you can get out of the any three of those names. Yeah, that is true. I was going to say, I was going to tweet the other day that I ship the Jot shippers and the Schema shippers, but I didn't want to get killed, so <laughs> I just put my phone away. <laughs> How does one ship an orgy? Um, <laughs> I imagine the postal rates are ridiculous. <laughs> um, something that's interesting that uh, I was talking to Trent about the other day is he was saying um, he's excited that Gene is back now with everybody because... He feels like from like X Factor until like Jean's second death, she was just, didn't really have a lot of character, which I kind of agree with. Like she, Jean is just kind of there, and yeah, the same could be on like set of the cartoon. So I'm excited to just have her here, and she can't die now. <laughs> no one can die except Kitty, I guess. But like, let's just explore these characters and let's get into who Jean is. And you know, already she's doing that in X Force, which is cool to see. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with him. Like, I, I like Jean a lot, and I like her her how she uh, reacts and interacts with different characters. But it does feel like if you ask someone to describe Emma versus Jean, Emma is more like fully formed. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And I, I, I just like that Jean told off Hank McCoy. Good for yeah. her. I, I feel like Hank that was, was like her one good moment. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I, Jean to me, I mean, she's had a couple of moments in X Force, but like, she's kind of like Storm right now in that she's become a supporting player in a book where other characters are shining. Like, mm-hmm. if you ask me who the star of X Force is, to me, it's like Domino or Black Tom or like Forge. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, you guys. Do you think yeah. that, so at when uh, House of X and Hawks started there was a lot of talk about the, the green dress and how mm-hmm. this was not the gene we knew this was like a younger version of gene and i feel like hickman kind of hinted at that in the x-men monday where he was like i thought that the dress would remind you of like the last time she wore it or something and people started to have theories that this was like a backup of gene um but since then you know she's wearing the armor in giant size one and it seems like she's you know doing more in X4. She's not just like this damsel in distress that a lot of fans thought she was in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that there's something there that they're, they're going to explain later or that she's a backup or something? Or do you think it's just nothing? I thought that for a bit, but there's that if she's if she is a backup, she's not a backup that goes that goes as far back as the green dress. Mm-hmm. Because she quote quotes herself or Madeline from the end of Inferno when she's resurrected mm. in Hawks 5. Mm-hmm. It's something from the end of Inferno. So it's at least that far along the timeline. Because there, there was something about it initially that I was like, boy, could this be a Dark Phoenix era, Gene? But I, I remember that, that quote was like, oh wait, no, no. She's got to be a little further down the timeline than that mm-hmm. it might also be one of those cases of hickman fucking with us because <laughs> i mean gene was alive at the end of of you know uncanny 22 uh you know when when salvador laroca took great pains to lovingly render her butt while, while, while <laughs> kissing uh scott and and emma and logan looking on annoyed um hell of a splash page guys um so maybe it's just there as a faint unless she dies sometime between Uncanny 22 and Hawks number one, which he's taking Broccoli <laughs> Rob on, on a tour she, of she tripped, uh, she tripped on the way to Krakow and hit her head. <laughs> yeah. And, and also young Jean from all new X-Men and Extraordinary was wearing that costume mm. as well. And she would have 
recently had those memories reintegrated. That's a whole thing that I'm that we never really had time to explore with the O five and their th- those memories that they got back because I. For, for no reason at all or a reason that will be very clear because this is coming up after the column is posted um, was reading a bunch of the um, lo- a bunch of Laura Kinney stories lately mm-hmm. and it's like boy Warren Worthington now has the complete memory of having a relationship with someone who is still now like 18 yeah but he has that memory of uh, Husk too <laughs> It's the pattern. Whoa. Uh, yeah. I had to go there. <laughs> I think the fans tried to forget that one as much as anything else. Um, <laughs> My I... eyes, the goggles do nothing. <laughs> um, no, yeah, that was the, the story where he flew up in the air and they stripped together from her parents or something. Yes, in Potter <laughs> Very Free. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> I do think the the memories uh, from the younger uh, 05 are fascinating, and I do wish they would explore that, but I have a very strong feeling that the creators are like, yeah, we don't care. That was We fixed that problem, we're going to move on now. <laughs> but I do, that's another thing, like the, the Jot and Schema reunion, whatever, like the stuff that I think fans really cling on to and want to see, but no one at Marvel seems interested in exploring it. Um, Gene does not want to talk about the fact that he... <laughs> dated Beast during that period and I mean at least Bobby got to confront her about outing him in uh, that final Cena Grace one shot mm-hmm. yeah um, something I want to say about the Gene backup um, the one thing it's a two-parter the one part I think would be strange would be if she did die somewhere and she was rebooted and she's a younger version that really makes Scott and everyone else that is okay with that seem terrible. Um, that Scott would be like, yeah, that's fine. It's a younger version without all the baggage. Great. So I think that probably wouldn't happen unless Scott's brain has been tampered with by Xavier. And so I say that and I feel like it couldn't happen. But then I think about the fact that Vulcan is living there and very clearly is not the Vulcan we remember. And everyone is cool with that because he's not like a, a genocidal maniac. Plus, he's discovered his passion for grilling. And listen, I mean, if he's going to cook for you. <laughs> and I, I just got to say, and this is coming from someone who, as a, a big fan of cosmic Marvel, Vulcan breaks the rule. Because Vulcan is theoretically still alive. Where's Vulcan? So I lost Vulcan, track of Vulcan. Vulcan and Black Bolt were caught in a. I believe it was a negabomb explosion at the end of War of Kings and were shunted into an, a sort of space in between dimensions. Black Bolt survived and eventually got out. So Vulcans is in theory still sort of trapped in between dimensions, the original Vulcan. Now granted, he could have starved to death or whatever by now. Mm-hmm. But there's no confirmation that he is dead dead. Hmm. But also that is one of those fine de- nobody remembers or talks about War of Kings because of all of those cosmic events of that period it's the the one that was the messiest and the least memorable. Uh but yeah, no. I have all sorts of fears about what Xavier is doing to people's heads. Yeah. Um <laughs> up to and including everyone. I mean, from the beginning, I think there's a single panel of Marauders number two where I was like, oh, that's that's creepy. And oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, you've, you've hinged on that a couple of years. about the one where Bobby says believe in the five and it's italicized. Yeah, it, it seems like he's <laughs> reciting dogma. <laughs> and Bobby's not that guy, so it was something like that that's like, whoo, it feels like someone's been indoctrinated. And yeah. the Vulcan thing, I, I'm there is some psychic hijinks, and not in the you know fun, sexy definition of hijinks going on. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into the Fantastic Four X Men debate that uh, exploded on X Twitter a couple weeks ago, um, 
but I, I very clearly, you know, that was my thought immediately was uh, people who are against Reed and Sue keeping Franklin was that these guys are clearly up to some very sketchy stuff on Krakoa. Like no matter how good it looks, Magneto and Xavier are up to no good, and which was proven further in X-Men 6 with how oh, yeah. they've been treating mm-hmm. Mystique. So it's like, this is just, you know, I want this to continue. I'm happy for all these characters and not everyone's bad, but this is very clearly heading toward a very tragic ending. <laughs> and I mean, Beast, Beast is on a parallel track heading that same way. So several ways <laughs> this would go very terrible. <laughs> oh, believe me, I've already written my piece about Beast. <laughs> but no, I mean, and the, anything else, the there was a data page in one of the last issues of later issues of Hox Pox about Xavier and Moira looking to eugenically create a reality warper. And it's like, okay, the Xavier Gabriel Haller thing was always morally dubious, mm-hmm. but you add in the fact that he basically selected her not just fell in love with her but selected her yeah there's no coming back from that you are now officially a creep you you've introduced malice aforethought yes well then there's also an x-force the data page that xavier like the whole assassination like that was he was happy that happened (laughs) to unite everybody like there's He's done so many terrible things in just, like, two months <laughs> that, like, all that crap for years debating, like, Cyclops murdered him, and, like, you look back at, yeah, he should have murdered him. <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> you, you, I, I just gotta say, you're talking to someone whose first and foremost comic book love is Batman, a character who is constantly shit on for all of his plans and manipulations. I'm sorry, but Batman's got nothing on Charles Xavier. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, I'm excited to see how this ends. Uh, I don't know. uh, Do you guys have an idea of like a prediction for how this all ends? No, I definitely, definitely not. I mean, I know we're screaming toward uh, an event, uh, an X event at the end of this year. And I, you know, with hints of it coming in the, in the free comic book day issue and what have you, I, I think, I think that's part of the fun because Hickman's clearly been planting a whole garden's worth of of seeds of, well, it could be Mystique burning the whole island down as revenge for Mystique. It could be this guy in this South American country who's basically now Swamp Thing. It could be, uh, you know, these Marcus. four old ladies living in a retirement community in Sedona, Arizona, probably not from far from where Mask is golfing, uh, you know. <laughs> I think, it's, I think it's the drug cartel from New Mutants in Nebraska. <laughs> I think they're, they're going to come back and <laughs> be the big villains. Oh. <laughs> Fuck those guys. Uh, and or it could be it could be Orcus. It could be Aaliyah Gregor building Nimrod, probably with the brainwaves of her husband. It sounds like. Uh, so you know, there's there's options, and options are good. <laughs> now, I, I think we've got a good chance of World War K, where all these factions band together. And the X-Men have to fight a war on a massive number of fronts. Yeah, I do think well, a war is coming. Yeah. Well, also dealing with the internal strife of Mystique. Also, nobody's resurrected strife yet. Um, <laughs> I just said well, I think that they word. said no clones, right? Sinister <laughs> said no clones were allowed? Well, Sinister's a dick. In the <laughs> best way possible. In, the, in a joyful way. Um well, this, it's funny because, I mean, like, Xavier brought all these loose cannons on the one island, and it really has spun out of control very quickly. Because <laughs> even I was thinking about New Mutants, that uh, the Manon and the, the twins or whatever, the kids, how... Maxima totally, Manon, yeah. Yeah, I totally forgot that story ended with them, like, yeah, we wiped their brains. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. <laughs> but, like, there's just terrible things happening all over the place. We thought we were doing good. We are little French children. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just going to get real ugly real real soon and i mean obviously beast is you know that story ended with beast like because i'm always right and i know what i'm doing and like that's hinting that that's gonna blow up in his face so mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man at least cyclops is having that hot dog he's happy <laughs> <laughs> enjoy it scott yeah, no, i think scott is just gonna call all the summers is up to his house and then blow up the gate and it's like we'll just we'll be good up here guys thanks yeah i'm fine on the moon <laughs>
Although I think there's a there's an Empire tie-in that says maybe they're not. But uh, <laughs> um, Chris, uh, Chris, let me ask you this: What are you reading? I mean, obviously you're on top of, of everything that's going on in in the X Men world. What are you reading apart from X Men? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I do read Amazing Spider-Man. Um, I really liked the relaunch when it started. I I feel like it's kind of lost its way. Do either of you read that book? No. No. Yeah, it's. I, I thought Nick Spencer started out. It was really funny. Um, but they've been teasing this character Kindred since the beginning, and they're like thirty something issues in, and we still don't know who Kindred is. Um, it's a good comedy series. Um, it's a good read. It's like very dense, a lot of dialogue, which I like for a three ninety nine comic. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like spinning its gears right now. So, but I, I keep reading it to see where this Kindred thing is going. I'm also reading Doctor Doom, which I kind of picked up on a whim. Um, are you guys reading that? Uh, no, I haven't been, but uh, one of our, our writers for our site's a huge Christopher Cantwell fan, so yeah. I think he's been reading it. Yeah, that, that one's on my. I'm gonna pick up the trade list. Yeah, it's it's pretty good, and it's uh, it's a uh, fun. It's I always like this reading Doctor Doom comics, and it seems like the most fun character to write. Um, but he basically, if I can spoil a little bit, uh, he's been having visions of this woman that he marries and has a family with. Um, and he finally meets her in, uh, in in real life, and she rejects him because she's like, "You're a monster." And he's like, "Bah! <laughs> you dare <laughs> reject Doom?" And it's just like funny to read that kind of stuff. <laughs> and he's just like he went from being like, "I could be a better man," to, "No, I am Doom. <laughs> I will never be rejected." <laughs> so that's kind of this guilty pleasure comics. Uh, and then yeah, I just I, I mostly I read I read X Men comics monthly, and then I. Uh, read everything else in trades um I, I read the first volume of daredevil by chip which is really good and yes. i really i really want to read more of that um my main issue is i just don't room because um, i've been obviously buying comics since 1995 as i said at the beginning of the show so i'm just i'm at that point where i'm constantly looking for old books i don't want to sell um i've never gone digital and i don't really want to i'm I'm physical media uh, kind of guy because you know I grew up on Sam Goody, <laughs> getting those Weezer CDs. Um, but I still buy CDs. I still buy movies when I want them. Um, I, I can't see myself going digital ever. But all that's meant is uh, paring down what I actually buy singles that I have to bag and board, and then reading the rest in trades that I can put on books bookshelves. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, let's just say I read everything else in trades <laughs> when I get to it. I, that sounds good. Well, uh, Chris, uh, as we're as we're wrapping up, uh, how can people follow you online and everything you're working on with uh, AIPT and Gene and Emma Week and X Men Monday and all that? Yeah, um, so yeah, AIPT.com um, or aptcomics.com, I think. Um, there you can uh, uh, see X Men Monday every Monday. Um, Gene and Emma Week is happening right now. Um, you should be able to find that stuff pretty easily. Um, in addition to <clears throat> X-Men Monday, there's a lot of other great content at AAPT, a lot of great talented writers, um, so check out their stuff. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Chris A. Hassan, um, and there I usually tease X-Men Monday on Sundays. Um, then throughout the week, I'm just fighting with random people, um, trying to make innocent jokes that blow up my face. <laughs> um, but I'm very friendly. <laughs> very harmless. So yeah, just don't fight me, please. I can't take it. <laughs> I have a day job, and it's it's hard to fight about Gene and Emma during the day when I'm trying to do other work. <laughs> I hear that, uh, Chris. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, guys, so much. This is a great great time. That's it for this week's show. Uh, as always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. And a $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. And uh, if we hit $10 in monthly donations, we will start a new project, most likely a deep dive retrospective on James Robinson and Tony Harris's Starman. Uh, big thanks to our patrons, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust, Charlie Davis from the Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Docs Talks at XavierFiles.com, Scott Madrinsky from Mojoswork.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's upcoming Spider-Woman series, Seren, and Rick Cook Jr. You can follow WMQComics.com on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? 
sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA.